guys, and welcome to the Moms of Murder podcast, a true crime podcast featuring myself, Mandy, and my dear friend, Melissa. Hi, Melissa. Hi, Mandy. How are you? I'm doing really awesome today. How are you? I am doing okay. This is one of those weeks where, for me, I'm ready to pull all of my hair out, but I'm very glad you're doing awesome. <laughs> yes. Yeah, I had a great day. I bought a new car today. First time in my life I've ever, like, legitimately bought a car. I mean, I've, I have not illegitimately bought a car ever, but uh, I've never really like gone through the process as an adult of like figuring out how to buy a car. So I did that. So I'm excited and it was a great day. And yeah, I mean, it's the highlight of my week, but you know, (laughs) I get it. That's cool. Very cool. So we're going to get right into the episode this week. Um, We have a really, really terribly sad story. Um, This case was researched for us by Haley, who has been doing some research for us. And she sent us a lot of information. And this is just one of the saddest stories I think I've ever heard. And it's just such a senseless tragedy. So we are going to get right into it this week. So in the early 2000s, the idea of televised talent competitions really took off and the world was introduced to tons of new musicians and artists that really got their big breaks on shows like American Idol, America's Got Talent and The Voice. And we're talking about singers such as Kelly Clarkson, Carrie Underwood and Chris Daughtry. And they all found their way to worldwide success after appearing on American Idol. And of course, there are numerous other recognizable names that have come out of these made-for-TV competition shows. Do you get into watching um, those kind of shows, Melissa? Early on, I watched like the first season of American Idol, and then I can watch them, but I'm not I'm not super drawn into them. My in-laws love them, but I've just never, I don't know. I like my reality very trashy, and this seems to be pretty classy. Yeah, I guess they are. I, I kind of the same way. I did watch American Idol in the early days, but then I kind of fizzled out. I do like The Voice. I guess it depends on the season and who the judges were, but yeah, it's always fun. I feel like it's always fun to watch it. I just am not consistent with it. And then I'm like, where did the person go that I kind of liked four weeks ago? Yeah. (laughs) So this week we're going to be talking about the short life and tragic death of 22 year old rising star, Christina Grimmie, who had won third place on The Voice two years prior to her shocking murder on June 10th, 2016. Christina was gunned down at the Plaza Live right here in Orlando following a concert that she had performed in. And before we get into the details of the story, we're going to tell you a little about where it took place in this week's segment of We Googled This City. So we've talked about Orlando a few times. I don't even know how many times, three, four, two times. I don't know. So it tells you a lot about this place. Uh, Just kidding, but I do love living here. Mandy loves living here. It's actually a really great place. But for new listeners or people who forget, and also for people that don't care, the population of Orlando is 285,000 as of the 2018 census. Orlando was named after, well, we're not exactly sure how Orlando got its name. Did you ever have any idea in your head how Orlando got its name? Why am I saying Orlando? I did not. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I don't think anyone knows, so you're okay. (laughs) It's thought (laughs) to be from the name Orlando, who was a character in Shakespeare's As You Like It, but really no one knows for sure. So As You Like It, indeed, I guess. So the city of Orlando planned to demolish its city hall and decided to seek help with funding and connected with producer Joel Silver, who actually blew the building up and used that as the opening scene in Lethal Weapon 3. I assume there was only two lethal weapons, but this third one, they got the whole city <laughs> city hall blown up. So I guess that's probably a tax write-off, I would assume. 
(laughs) So the Orlando Magic basketball team, as silly as that name is, I've always thought that was kind of a weird one, almost went by a much worse name, which was Orlando Juice. How do you get behind a basketball team named Orlando Juice? That doesn't even make sense. It's a terrible name. like like, like orange juice? Yes. <laughs> like we know oranges come from here. Come on, people. Get it together. So they held a contest in 1987 to choose a name for the team. And the finalists at the time were Magic, Heat, which Miami obviously became the Heat, the Tropics, and the Juice. I want to know who like submitted these names. Probably five-year-olds. So based on this, they – I mean, I guess you picked the best out of the worst, right? The juice? Yeah. My gosh. It's just, it bothers me so much. <laughs> Lastly, Orlando has two nicknames. One is the City Beautiful that no one calls unless, I guess, you work for the travel industry. And the other is O-Town. No, that's actually the town's nickname, not the Lou Pearlman managed boy band with such hits as We Fit Together and Liquid Dreams. Do you remember O-Town, Mandy? I do. Weren't they from here? They were not from here. They formed oh. here and then they called it. It's a fake boy band story. <laughs> and that's like the thing that enrages me because they weren't even from here. They went, they were for all over the country. Lou Pearlman was like, great, we're going to call them O-Town. I think it was Lou Pearlman that did that. But they weren't from here. They just practiced here. It was such a hoax. And then they drug our name into it. And so now we're forever associated with people with the song called Liquid Dreams. That song is awful. It is so terrible. And I... Yes, it was terrible, and it's very, I don't know, there's a lot going on to it, more than you realize when you're, like, 18 years old and hear it for the first time. So, anyway, I'm going to end it on that happy note that Orlando <laughs> O-Town, we're not the same as the other O-Town. Thank God. It's just terrible. <laughs> Go ahead. Christina Victoria Grimmy was born in Marlton, New Jersey on March 12, 1994, to her parents, Tina and Albert. She was the second child to the couple who already had a son named Marcus. The Grimmy family was very close-knit, and as Christina grew up, she developed a really special bond with her older brother, and they each considered each other to be their best friend. Christina's family wasn't particularly well-off, and they had dealt with a fair amount of heartbreak due to Tina's ongoing battle with breast cancer. Christina's father, Albert, worked for Verizon, and Tina held a job as a receptionist, but eventually she stopped working due to her cancer and the treatments that she was receiving. She actually had breast cancer four different times. It was obvious from a very early age, even as early as age four, that Christina had a genuine love for music, and she actually picked up how to play the piano by ear and was already playing beautifully and fluently by the age of 10. She also learned how to play the flute and the bass. By high school, she was so engulfed in her passion that she would spend hours after school working on making new music and emulating her icon, who is Stacy Orico. So I was not immediately familiar with who that was, but she was an early 2000s pop star. And after I started listening to some of the songs, I did start recognizing some of them. But it was one of those things where it almost felt like I had like heard this music in another lifetime or something. It was weird how it like kind of came back to me as I was listening to it. But I couldn't picture any of it, you know, before I actually listened to anything again. So Christina was really inspired by Stacy, and she said that she didn't think that her own voice would have been as soulful as it was if she didn't listen and learn from Stacy. 
When Christina was a teenager and was attending Cherokee High School, she created a YouTube channel and started making videos of herself covering popular songs by artists such as Adele, Justin Bieber, Sia, the Arctic Monkeys, Gym Class Heroes, and several more. Her first YouTube video was posted on July 17th, 2009, and it was a cover of the song Don't Want to Be Torn by Hannah Montana. In the video, Christina was featured playing the piano while singing along to the song. The following month, Christina posted another Miley song called Party in the USA, which most people have probably heard before. Yeah, and yeah, Christina's, yeah, yeah. Yeah, I love that song. <laughs> I do too. It's, yeah, it's just such a happy, like, a fun lucky... Listen. Yeah, yeah. So after she posted that video, Christina's popularity started really growing rapidly. And as of today, that cover has about 13 million views on YouTube. So she quickly found this following of fans. A number of major artists have credited YouTube for their success, including Justin Bieber, Carly Rae Jepsen, and one of my personal favorites, The Weeknd. And Christina Grimmie really had the same level of talent as any of these uh, superstars that we know today. When she was 16 years old, her YouTube performances caught the attention of Selena Gomez's mom, whose name is Mandy, and her stepfather, Brian, who was also happened to be Selena's career manager. So Brian attempted to reach out to Christina via her YouTube channel, but his message got lost in a sea of other messages from her fans, and she never saw it. But Brian and Mandy were really persistent, and they wanted to get in touch with her, and eventually they found contact information for her brother Marcus and contacted him, and they kind of got hooked up that way. So at first, Christina was really unsure, but after meeting with Brian, all these different things started falling into place for her and for her career. After Selena Gomez's parents made contact with Christina, the two young singers became good friends. Selena took Christina under her wing and provided support and encouragement to Christina on her exciting new journey into a successful music career. In 2011, Selena even invited Christina to go on tour with her, and this was the We Own the Night tour. But going on tour with a star wasn't the only exciting thing to happen in Christina's career that year. In 2011, the same year, she released her first independent EP called Find Me, which debuted at number two on iTunes. She also won an AMA in the category of New Media Best Female and appeared on multiple TV shows, including the Disney show So Random and on The Ellen DeGeneres Show. Before going on tour with Selena Gomez, Christina stayed with Selena and her family in L.A. for several weeks over the summer, where Selena helped her learn the ways of Hollywood, doing interviews and a lot more. To hype herself up for performances, Christina would listen to the heavy metal bands Pantera and Metallica. She said, quote, that kind of music will get your heart racing and ready for a crowd. By 2012, even Christina's parents knew that she was on the track for stardom, and even though her mom was fighting breast cancer at the time, they agreed to move as a family to Los Angeles so that Christina could pursue a career in music. In 2012, Christina actually performed on the popular TV show Dancing with the Stars for the first time. She would go on to be on the show in 2013 and 2014 as well. So, of course, when they have the bands play for the dancing and stuff, she was part of that band. I always wondered, like, where those people kind of come from, if it's a house band or – do you ever see something like that and you're like, I wonder if I'll see that person again? I get really, like, yeah. <laughs> so weird with stuff. I'm like, they're really good. I hope I see them again. And I don't yeah. even bother to Google them. So I really need to look into that a little bit more. And I actually looked up some of those um, performances. I – 
it got lost looking at a lot of her performances and listening to a lot of her music and the times that she performed on Dancing with the Stars, it was just, I mean, it's just so pretty when you hear beautiful music and a beautiful voice and then you watch these people dancing. I mean, I was just like in my room crying like quietly to myself that everything was so beautiful and Christina's voice is just amazing. So yeah, if you have a chance to go and look any of those up, definitely do that. Her voice is incredible. She has one of those voices as soon as she starts hitting those high notes and just those really strong notes, you just get chills. It's one of, not a lot of artists I feel like do that, but it was like anything I've listened to with her just, you know, throughout when we've been looking at this, I've just been every time I just have chills. She was just that strong and that great of a singer. So Christina was slowly breaking her way into the industry. And in 2014, she got further exposure when she decided to audition for The Voice. Most people are probably familiar with The Voice, or at least the general concept of it, but for those who maybe haven't seen it or heard of it, it's a show that features a panel of four celebrity judges who decide if they want a contestant on their team based only on their voice. So the they only can see what the contestant looks like after they've turned around. So the idea being these four judges are facing away from the singer, the singer's singing, and if they want this person to be on their team, they press a buzzer, the buzzer turns them around, really cool show show business thing. And sometimes one person turns around, sometimes nobody turns around, or sometimes multiple judges turn around. And so if multiple judges turn around, you choose which judge you want to be on a team with. And I know I said I didn't really watch The Voice that much, but apparently I've watched it enough to be able to recap the initial uh, thing. So Christina absolutely wowed all four of the judges. I know we'll have stuff in the show notes if you want to watch her performances because they're amazing. And so that season that she was on, the judges were Adam Levine, Blake Shelton, Usher, and Shakira. And all four of them ended up turning their chairs around when Christina belted out Wrecking Ball by Miley Cyrus. Also a good song. I really, really like that song. So in the end, apparently I'm a Miley Cyrus fan. I had no idea. So I know. I just <laughs> learned a lot about myself um, I while I was writing this episode. I was like, oh, I didn't never considered myself a Miley fan, but I apparently am. Turns out <laughs> I just can't stop. So in the end, Christina actually chose to join Adam Levine's team, and she won third place overall in the competition, which many people were really surprised by because she really was so good. It's hard to believe that she didn't even win. But I think even Carson Daly, who's the host, which – I always wonder what Carson Daly's doing, and I'm glad to see he's doing that. But he even said he couldn't believe that she didn't win that season because she's just that good. So four of Christina's cover songs from The Voice made their way to the iTunes Top 10, and Adam Levine said that, you know, regardless of how she placed in the competition, she would always have a home with his record label if she so wanted. After her successful appearance on The Voice, Christina's career started to really take off. She participated in the Voice Summer Tour and had multiple record deal offers, including one from Lil Wayne. Um, And she actually once performed a version of his song, How to Love, on the Voice, which I thought was really cool because it's not a song that you would picture somebody with her type of voice singing, but she nailed it and did such a great job with it. Eventually, Christina signed with Island Records and released one single entitled Must Be Love before she was actually dropped from that label and she started releasing music independently. She released two songs called Cliche and Stay With Me on her own. She was a really busy young woman who put her career in music at the absolute top of her priority list. In 2015, she won the iHeartRadio and Macy's Rising Star competition and earned a spot to perform at their festival in September of that same year. From there, Christina started touring with Rachel Platten, who is known for her hit 
song, fight song. And she dabbled in acting by starring in an indie film called The Matchbreaker. Meanwhile, Christina's YouTube following was exploding and hitting numbers in the millions. Regardless of how much success she found, she always remained humble and dedicated to the fans that supported her journey and listened to her music. Christina coined the term friends for her fans, saying that they were friends and fans combined, which I just think is so adorable and so sweet. It's great. So it wasn't really surprising that Christina cared deeply for those who loved her music because she had really always been a kind and loving person. She described herself in an interview with Teen Inc. as, quote, that girl that's a hardcore musician and loves to sing and write and play instruments, but at the same time loves video games, metal music, and just being a goofy person. Christina's YouTube channel name was Zelda X Love 64, which was based on one of her favorite games, Zelda, and the Nintendo 64 that she liked to play it on. In her spare time, Christina loved working with animals, and she worked with the Humane Society multiple times and once even raised $250,000 for them through an online campaign with her fans. Christina was truly a beautiful person with a heart of gold, and we are going to get right back into more of her story after a quick break for a word from this week's sponsors. You've got muscles, I've got muscles, we've all got muscles, and they get sore. Sometimes from doing something like exercising, and other times from just pulling a trapped Lego from under your son's bed. And when that happens, which definitely happened just this week, I reach for my Theragun, place it on my neck, and in two minutes, my neck feels better than it did even before I reach for that stupid Lego. Theragun is the perfect thing to have on hand, whether you're a gym rat or someone that just hurts themselves by doing everyday things like reaching under the couch or have back pain after driving around in your car. Theragun is the original professional grade handheld percussive therapy device that provides you with deep muscle tissue treatment to release tension, helping to improve your mobility and help with the tension and stress you get from things like life. I love the accomplished feeling I get when I manage to successfully complete an entire workout, but I hate the next day soreness that reminds me that my body is aging. Theragun helps me soothe those strained muscles faster and get back to chasing kids and animals much easier. I love that when pain strikes, I have something right there at my house, feet away from me to grab for relief. Instead of waiting a neck cramp out from sleeping on it wrong or having my kids do that thing where they stand on my back, hoping that will work and not kill me. Theragun is there and always ready to jump in to give my muscles some relief after a stressful day. Feel better naturally. Treat your pain and get back to your life. Try Theragun risk-free for 30 days or your money back by going to theragun.com mm. For a limited time, our listeners of this podcast get up to $150 off your device. That's theragun.com mm. Theragun.com mm. You know what I love? comfort. And if I'm going to wear a bra, I absolutely want it and need it to be as comfortable as possible. And that's why I love my third love bra. Third love can make comfortable and beautiful bras because their bras were designed to actually fit you and not the other way around. Third love has a fit finder quiz that helps you find your perfect fit in just 60 seconds. We took the Fit Finder quiz and it's actually really fun, but also really helpful. The quiz asks you things that you might not think about, including how your current bra fits and ask questions about your breast shape. Third Love helps you identify your breast size and shape and then gives you style choices that are made to fit your body. I love that Third Love offers every customer 60 days to wear it, wash it, and put it to the test. And after those 60 days, if you still don't love it, you can easily return it and Third Love will wash it and donate it to a woman in need. Plus, Third Love bras are the most comfortable bra you will ever own. 
I really love that my bra has tagless labels, plus has straps that won't slip, taking away yet another annoying part of the whole bra wearing process. Third Love knows there's a perfect bra for everyone. So right now they are offering our listeners 15% off your first order. Go to thirdlove.com slash murder now to find your perfect fitting bra and get 15% off your first purchase. That's thirdlove.com slash murder for 15% off today. Now back to the episode. So before the break, we were discussing the rising career of Christina Grimmie. By the spring of 2016, Christina's YouTube channel had around 3.5 million subscribers, and her Twitter account was fast approaching a million followers. In late May of the same year, Christina went on tour with the band Before You Exit for their All the Lights tour. The first stop on the tour was Philadelphia, and after about two and a half weeks on the road, the tour was set to end on June 17th in Los Angeles. The tour went off without a hitch, and on June 10th, Christina tweeted about the 7.30 p.m. show that night at the Plaza Live Theater in Orlando. After the Orlando show, Christina and the rest of the crew were headed to California for the last two stops on their tour. Sadly, no one suspected the tragedy that was about to unfold just a few hours later. Unbeknownst to Christina, a Florida man named Kevin Loibel had secretly spent the last several months carefully following Christina on social media, listening to her songs, and learning everything he could about her. Kevin quickly went from being a fan of Christina to developing an unhealthy obsession with her that began to lead him down a dark path. Kevin was born on March 10, 1989 to parents Nora and Paul in St. Petersburg, Florida. At the time of this story, he was 27 years old and lived at home in St. Pete, which is about an hour and a half from Orlando, with his father and his brother. Kevin's mom had actually passed away of an accidental overdose just six years prior in 2010 after unintentionally taking too much aspirin. Kevin worked part-time at Best Buy and was part of the geek squad there. This was a job that he had held for eight years, and he would ride his bike to and from work because he didn't have his own car. He mostly worked on the weekends and spent the rest of his days at home. When he wasn't working, Kevin spent the majority of his time in his room, on his computer, and kept to himself. His best friend, and really his only friend, was a man named Corey Dennington, who he had known for over 15 years, and the pair worked together at Best Buy. At some point between 2014 and 2015, Kevin became aware of Christina and her music, and he began spending more and more time watching her videos on YouTube and looking at her social media accounts. Little did anyone know, but Kevin's interest in Christina was rapidly turning into a twisted belief that the two were soulmates. When Kevin learned that Christina was going to be performing in Orlando, he decided that he would be going to that show. That night, around 250 to 300 people were in attendance at the Plaza Live for the show, which ended at around 10 p.m. Immediately after the show, Christina was at the back of the venue having a meet and greet, signing autographs and selling merchandise. Her brother Marcus and her road manager sat at the merchandise table while about 100 people waited for their turn to meet Christina. Among those in the crowd of fans was Kevin Loibel, who was waiting patiently and quietly with two pistols concealed under his clothing. Kevin watched as Christina's bubbly personality greeted each fan and how she took her time appreciating everyone that, you know, came up to see her. And then it was his turn in the line. One person who was there said that Christina opened her arms to hug Kevin as he approached her, but instead of giving her a hug, Kevin walked up and shot Christina multiple times. She was shot once in the head and three times in the torso. 
Christina fell to the ground and her brother really looked on in horror and he immediately jumped up and rushed to grab the shooter, but Kevin was able to escape his grasp. There was a security guard working at the venue and he heard the gunshots and all this commotion and he ran to see what was going on. But when he got closer and saw that Kevin still had a gun in his hand, it scared this security guard and he backed off. Moments later, Kevin backed himself up against a wall and turned the gun on himself. Absolute chaos erupted at the venue as people realized what was happening and multiple witnesses dialed 911 to report this tragedy. Police were dispatched at 10.24 p.m. and arrived at the scene two minutes later. The father of one of the members of Before You Exit was performing CPR on Christina when police arrived. He was actually a doctor and she was transported to the hospital where she was pronounced dead at 10.59 p.m. Police quickly began to investigate into Christina's murder. They learned that the only security measures in place at the Plaza Live were unarmed security guards and a bag check, but there was no metal detectors and no one was being patted down. Do you know where the Plaza Live is? I do not know where that is. I've heard of it before. I have too. I was wondering that. I didn't, I feel like I've heard of people having concerts and shows there, but it's downtown and I never get that way yeah (laughs) so eyewitnesses told police that they never heard the shooters say anything before or after shooting christina and no one in christina's immediate circle even recalled seeing kevin during the concert either police located six shell casings from a nine millimeter pistol on the ground five of them were near the merch table where christina was shot and one was near the shooter's body They also recovered two 9mm Glock handguns and fully loaded magazines next to Kevin's body, as well as two holsters clipped inside his pants, as well as a large hunting knife strapped around one of his ankles. Inside his pockets was a ticket to the concert, which was printed five days before the show, an encrypted cell phone, Kevin's ID, which was actually a learner's permit that he had just been issued on April 21st, just less than two months before the shooting, and a key for a hotel room at the Courtyard Marriott in Orlando. He also had a flyer about a burial service that spreads your remains around the base of a tree. So clearly this guy was going there to do something. Right. Kevin was also found to have spongy blue earplugs, the kind that are commonly used at shooting ranges, just stuffed into his ears. Investigators went to the hotel where they believed Kevin had been staying, and when they showed the manager a photo of Kevin, she instantly asked police if he was a suspect in the concert shooting, which at this point had already made the news. She said that Kevin checked into the hotel around 1.30 in the afternoon on June 9th and only had one night booked. He paid $269 for the room and came with no luggage or personal belongings with him that could be seen. The manager let the police into the room that Kevin had checked into so that they could look around for evidence. The bed was made and it appeared that Kevin had slept on top of the covers. Inside the trash can was wrappers from food that he had bought at the hotel snack bar and there was a Nike drawstring backpack in the hotel room safe. There were personal hygiene items and a Glock gun case containing ammunition and spare magazines. Strangely, while the police were actually searching through this hotel room, the front desk called up to say that a cab driver was there to pick up Kevin. When police came down and spoke to the driver, he said that Kevin had actually paid him $200 in advance for a round trip from his home in St. Petersburg to the hotel in Orlando, and the driver said that he had come back to pick Kevin up and to take him home. Investigators drove over to St. Petersburg to speak with Kevin's family, where they learned that Kevin was somewhat of a recluse who spent a lot of time in his room. 
Kevin's father said that in the recent months, Kevin had gone through some changes, such as getting his learner's permit, having LASIK surgery done, he got hair plugs, and he switched to a vegan diet, which resulted in a 50-pound weight loss. But Kevin's dad and brother said that they had no idea Kevin owned any guns, and they had never even seen or heard him mention anything about Christina Grimmie or even about watching shows like The Voice. Kevin's father suggested that the police should talk to Corey Dennington, who, as we mentioned before, was Kevin's really only friend. The officer searched through Kevin's dark bedroom. There was actually tinfoil over the windows, as well as heavy curtains on the inside, which Kevin's father said was because Kevin had an aversion to light. Kevin slept on a mattress that was just on the floor, and he had a computer tower that was connected to a large TV sitting on a dresser. The computer was not in working order when the police arrived, and they actually believe that Kevin intentionally destroyed the hard drive. Police also found the same type of earplugs that Kevin was wearing in a drawer, and his father told them that in addition to disliking light, Kevin was also uncomfortable with loud noises. Also recovered was a second Glock handgun case and more ammo and another flyer for the tree burial service. Strangely, the police did not find anything at all related to Christina in Kevin's room. It wasn't until they spoke with Corey Dennington that they finally confirmed that Kevin had been long planning this attack on Christina Grimmie. Corey alleged that Kevin spent most of his waking hours watching Christina and following her online, and he said that he didn't think Kevin had ever attended one of her shows or even tried to contact her, and he never mentioned to anything about going to this Orlando show on June 10th, but he did know, at least he knew that Kevin really liked this singer, Christina Grimmie. Corey did say that Kevin told him that it was Christina who had inspired him to make some changes in himself, such as the changes to his appearance that we mentioned, including the LASIK and the hair implants, and he had his teeth whitened. Um, but he also turned to Christianity after learning that Christina was a Christian and said that, quote, it helped him see the world in a different way. Kevin told Corey that he did all of this for Christina and believed that they were soulmates. And at some point, Corey did become concerned that Kevin's obsession with Christina was getting to be a bit too much, and he actually told their supervisor at Best Buy about his, his concerns. He tried to confront Kevin once before on his own and told him, you know, plain and simple that it was illogical to think that he would ever have a relationship with Christina, but Kevin just got angry and defensive and refused to even entertain the idea that his plan would not work. Kevin never talked about guns or threatened to hurt himself or Christina, but just five days before the shooting, he met up with Corey to return some magazines that he had borrowed, and he told Corey that he loved him and that he was tired and ready to ascend, which Corey did not understand the meaning of at that time. Investigators spoke with Kevin's boss at Best Buy, Luke Dahl. Luke described Kevin as being really socially awkward and detached with no social skills and said that his job at Best Buy had him in the back and not interacting with customers. He said that Kevin would watch videos of Christina at work but never actually talked about her, but Corey did express concerns over this infatuation and said that it was putting their friendship into jeopardy. At least five of Kevin's other coworkers told police that they knew about his obsession with Christina Grimmie, but didn't believe it was anything serious and even joked with him about his internet crush. Although Kevin was a bit strange and reserved, no one he knew ever said they noticed any mental changes or shifts in his personality, and police found no evidence of prior mental illness. 
At one point, Kevin claimed that he played online video games with Christina, but police could not verify that and found no evidence that Kevin had ever been in contact with her before. When investigators spoke with Christina's family, they confirmed that Christina had never received any threatening messages or unwanted attention from a fan that they knew about, and that they'd never seen Kevin at any other show or even heard of him at all. And you'd think with something like this, they would all maybe have some idea of this person that's sending strange messages or commenting weird things and at least would have somebody that was like, oh, of all these people that have listened to her and commented and been on her YouTube that somebody could have stood out. It's kind of just like he didn't exist in it. It it is so bizarre to me. Don't you think it's just... Yeah. Yeah. It's very strange that the police didn't find more... uh, It's like, it's almost like they they almost have what they need, but then they're missing the actual proof of him stalking her online and, you know, following her like this. And it is very bizarre, but it just kind of goes to show, I feel that he put a lot of thought into what Mm -hmm. he was doing and, and he knew that it was like not okay. And so he was kind of staying under the radar and, you know, looking at her accounts, maybe while not being logged into an account himself. So it's not traceable and he doesn't, you know, it doesn't look like he was ever there, but he was still, there. Yeah. It makes you wonder what was on the hard drive if he had this, you know, massive computer tower and all that. And the police obviously think he did something to it. Makes you wonder what on earth he had been doing on there, really. So on the night of the murder, Kevin went to an old Navy store near the Plaza Live and purchased a black hat and a bottle of water. He wore the hat out of the store. Finally, police asked the professional photographer and cinematographer that were there if they could look through their work from that night, just hoping to get a glimpse of Kevin in the photos and video taken at the concert. Kevin was never seen with anyone else at the show, and in both photos and videos, he was always seen hanging out around the back of the venue. In the end, police had no choice but to close the case since Kevin died by suicide. But if he hadn't taken his own life, police had enough evidence and probable cause to charge him with first-degree murder. And we're going to get into the aftermath of Christina's tragic death after one last break to hear a word from this week's sponsors. This Mother's Day, I won't be able to see my mom, but I have a really great way to make her still feel connected to our family. And that's with the skylight frame. Skylight frames make the perfect Mother's Day gift because it's not just an ordinary everyday frame, it's actually an interactive frame where you or other friends or family can email photos directly to the frame for mom or whoever to proudly display automatically in a beautiful 10-inch touchscreen frame that looks great in any home. The frame makes such a great gift and is really easy to set up, even if you are gifting it to someone who has no computer skills. You can set it up in under 60 seconds by just plugging it in, using the touchscreen to connect your wireless network, and just like that, you're in business. I love that lots of people can send photos to the frame, so it's a really great way to keep connected with family and friends from all over. I absolutely love the display clarity my Skylight Frame has, and the touchscreen makes it easy to quickly delete photos you no longer want displayed, as well as changing and customizing your settings. Now, as a special holiday offer, you can get $10 off your purchase of a Skylight Frame when you go to skylightframe.com slash momsmurder and enter code momsmurder. That's right. To get $10 off your purchase of a Skylight Frame, just go to skylightframe.com slash momsmurder and enter code momsmurder. That's S-K-Y-L-I-G-H-T-F-R-A-M-E dot com slash mom's murder. I'm a big believer in therapy, so I decided to reach out for a little help, which isn't always easy to do. 
As a stay-at-home mom, I knew it would be a little trickier since I wasn't going to be able to attend traditional appointments in an office every week. Luckily, there's BetterHelp, which provides online counseling sessions. When I signed up with BetterHelp, I answered a few questions, then they reviewed my needs and wants and matched me to a great therapist in less than 24 hours, a therapist who also happens to be a reality TV fan. She's been great at helping me navigate through some of the messier parts of life and dealing with stuff I like to ignore, but I know isn't healthy to do so. I love that everything I share is confidential and my counselor is professional and kind throughout our interactions. Appointments with your counselor can be phone calls or video calls plus messaging and BetterHelp can help you match with a counselor who is specialized in things like depression, stress, anxieties, relationships, traumas, and more. Plus, if you decide you want to change counselors, you can do so at any time with no additional cost. Financial aid is also available to those who qualify. We want you to start living a happier life today. As a listener, you'll get 10% off your first month by visiting betterhelp.com moms. Join over 800,000 people taking charge of their mental health. Again, that's betterhelp.com slash moms. Now back to the episode. An autopsy of Christina's body was performed by Dr. Joshua Stephanie, and he determined that the gunshot to Christina's head was fired at close range and was fatal. On June 17, 2016, Christina's funeral was held in her home of New Jersey, and thousands of people were in attendance. Unfortunately, Christina's untimely death was not the only gruesome tragedy that took place in Orlando that week. On June 12, 2016, just two days after Christina was shot to death, 29-year-old Omar Mateen entered the Orlando Pulse nightclub armed with a semi-automatic rifle and a 9mm handgun and opened fire on the patrons there. On that night, the club was hosting Latin night and there were over 300 people inside. In total, 49 people lost their lives and 53 were wounded after a lengthy shootout and hostage situation in which Omar Mateen negotiated with police over the phone three different times before the SWAT team entered the building and apprehended him. Omar alleged that he carried out the shooting on behalf of ISIS, although that terrorist organization claimed they had nothing to do with that attack. So Christina Grimmie's death was really pushed to the back burner in the wake of the second massive tragedy that week, but many people spoke out about their sadness and grief over the loss of Christina's life. The official Twitter account for The Voice tweeted, quote, There are no words. We lost a beautiful soul with an amazing voice. Our hearts go out to the friends, fans, and family. Blake Shelton tweeted, I'm stunned and disgusted and heartbroken that we lost that sweet little girl, keeping Christina's family in my heart and mind. Adam Levine posted a similar message of condolence along with a photo of himself and Christina together. He called her a natural gifted talent that comes along so rarely. One of Christina's favorite metal bands, Pantera, posted on social media pleading for changes in the way artists are protected while touring and performing. Pantera actually had a specific soft spot for Christina's murder because they themselves had lost a member of their band back in 2004 after a fan walked on stage and shot their guitarist, Dimebag Daryl. Christina's murder brings into question the safety of celebrities against their fans. One LAPD detective told BuzzFeed that in 2008, celebrity stalkers took up 10% of the unit's caseload, but in 2015, that number had actually doubled. According to a book called Stalking, Threatening, and Attacking Public Figures, only 17 serious homicide attempts or successes had occurred against celebrities via their stalkers from 1958 to 2008, but the number has increased in those cases over the last 25 years. 
Celebrities who have the cash will often spend $500,000 to $1 million each year on personal security against stalkers. Other instances of celebrity stalking include John Lennon, the former Beatles member who was shot and killed by a fan by the name of Mark David Chapman in New York in 1980. In the summer of 2014, Joshua Corbett had been stalking Sandra Bullock, and he forced entry into her home. It took police 16 minutes to arrive, but thankfully Sandra was okay. In the late 80s and early 90s, David Letterman had a female stalker named Margaret Mary Ray who stole David's Porsche and drove it around telling police that she was actually David's wife and that her son was David's child when she was questioned. The Journal of the American Academy of Psychiatry and the Law outlines the five different types of stalkers. The first is the rejected stalker, and that's someone who stalks their victims after the end of a relationship. The second is an intimacy seeker stalker, and that person wants a relationship with the victim and often thinks they're already in one. The third is the incompetent suitor stalker. This person wants a date or sexual encounter with their victim, but not a real or long-term relationship. The fourth is a resentful stalker. That person wants revenge on the victim by intimidating and scaring them. And lastly, the fifth, the predatory stalker. That one gathers information, rehearses, or fantasizes about an attack. Stalkers can, of course, have tendencies of more than one type that we mentioned before. So after Christina was killed, a GoFundMe was created to raise money for her family. The original goal was to raise $4,000, but within just a few days, the campaign had actually raised over $125,000. Adam Levine called Christina's mother and said that he wanted to pay for her funeral, as well as the flight to bring her body home to New Jersey from Orlando. Kevin's family left a note on their front door, I assume for the media who was probably coming by a lot, knocking on the door, and the note just read, quote, Deepest sorrow for the loss to the family, friends, and fans of the very talented, loving Christina Grimmie. No other comments. Four days after the shooting, the Plaza Live reopened, but they installed metal detectors and a video surveillance camera at the entrance. This event prompted numerous venues to increase their security measures by adding metal detectors, bag checks, and armed security guards or police presence. Three months after the murder, Christina's family released the music that she had been working on, and she was posthumously awarded a Teen Choice Award for Choice Web Star in Music. Her family sued the concert promoter and the owner of the venue, accusing them both of failing to take adequate measures to protect their daughter. That lawsuit was actually dropped in December of 2019, and there was no statement or explanation given to the media about exactly what happened there. Christina's family created a foundation to support families who have lost a loved one to gun violence or have a member diagnosed with breast cancer, which is something we mentioned that Christina's mom really struggled with for many, many years. And she actually sadly passed away from her cancer in 2018. Throughout the investigation into her death, police never found any real evidence of Kevin's deadly obsession with her. As we said, the hard drive was destroyed. They didn't find any evidence that he even had social media accounts, so they didn't really know how he was actually following her. It's just assumed that maybe he was doing it kind of in the shadows. Yeah. Regardless of how Kevin stalked Christina, her life was taken way too soon, and her death was devastating to thousands of people who knew her and loved her through her personal life and through her music. And oh my gosh, this story is just... So incredibly sad and heartbreaking. They all are. Um, It's always terrible to hear about somebody losing their life. But this girl didn't even see it coming. You know, she had no idea that this person existed from 
what the police found, you know, and didn't even have a warning, didn't even know to be careful or to, you know, be extra careful. And it's just so terrifying and just absolutely sad to think about, you know, you're, you're having this great time. You're on tour. She's living, you know, she's living her best life at this point. And this random guy that she doesn't even know just walks up and, and shoots her like that. It's just, it's scary that that can happen first of all, and so heartbreaking and so sad. And it really was such a tragic loss. I mean, her voice was so incredible. And I just, like I said, I could list, I could listen to her music for hours and hours. And I did like this week while I was um, working on this episode, just so terribly sad. Yeah. Yeah. To be so talented. I mean, she had just such a natural talent and you just could you know that she was going to go really far with her music and touching people. And, you know, she just seemed like a genuinely really nice and caring person. And this guy was the limit really. And, and just with there being no real information makes it kind of hard just where it's like they're like you were saying, they, she didn't know to be worried. She had no idea. Her brother didn't know, you know, he was there too. He had no idea. Things could have looked differently if they had any kind of warning that this could be coming or that somebody was obsessed with her like this or anything. So all, all around, it's just super, super sad. I really like the Adam Levine paid for the funeral and all that stuff. It was nice to see people stepping in with a GoFundMe and stuff like that. So there's always nice to have a little bit of light in that kind of thing where people come together and, you know, to show how much they cared about her. Yeah. Okay. So we are going to um, lighten things up a little bit and do our last thing before we go and keeping in the theme of music, which is kind of what we are talking about this week. um, We are going to talk about some songs that we like to listen to in when we have different emotions. So songs we like when we're happy, sad, Mad. Those are the only ones I really came up with. So I hope you didn't add any more categories and I have to think on the spot because that never goes well for me. (laughs) Sad, mad and happy is what I wrote out. So I think we're good. Okay. So Melissa, when you are happy, what do you listen to or what songs do you listen to that make you happy when you hear them? Um, I love 70s rock. I don't know why, but that's like my go to is just like the really silly, ridiculous, fun um electric guitar songs like uh i like, like give me an photograph example. by def def leopard is one of my like favorite songs cannot sing i have no talent singing whatsoever but i just have so much fun actually singing that song and more than a feeling one of my favorite songs ever and you can put that in any show or movie and i'm automatically like perk up it just makes me so happy and of course you know i love weezer and so my son even tells alexa now to play weezer and i love it like he just I'm like cleaning in the kitchen and he'll tell Alexa to play Weezer. I'm like, oh, that does make me so happy. (laughs) You see me doing dishes and being (laughs) sad and you want me to be happy. (laughs) What about you? Um, So happy. I'm kind of with you on like older music, but but not rock from the 70s. I'm thinking more 80s um, pop. So I love listening to that when I'm trying to get like hyped up to like do something like clean my yeah. house or, you know, something to encourage me to yeah. actually get up and start moving around. Um, so I love Whitney Houston is always like a go-to. I love listening to, um, I want to dance with somebody is one, one of my favorite yeah. ones that always gets me. It makes me want to turn it up louder and just listen to it. Um, and then of course, most of the music I listen to, I always describe as happy music anyway. So it's, if it's like a reggae ska, anything, then I'm going to consider that happy music 
for me. Yes, I think that is great for you. I need to just find your like uh, playlist sometime and see if it works for me. Because I have to be honest, I am not a fan, but it's not because I've like immersed myself into it. I just like, mm, not really for me. But maybe I'd find something I like. Anytime I'm at Universal by all the whatever, what is it that they have at Universal? There's lots of reggae stuff. You yeah. know, at City Walk. Well, I mean, how can you not be happy whenever every song has like horns in it? Okay, something about well, horns not just makes your... you <laughs> just makes you happy. It makes me happy. Maybe people don't agree, but I feel like it's happy. So that's what I listen to if I just want to be in a good mood, which is like all the time. I like. That. Really, I mean, I always want to. I didn't say I always. Was. <laughs> <laughs> that's the goal. Okay, so this one I was thinking uh, songs when you're sad or like nostalgic. That was the other thing I was kind of thinking. Um, this week has been a long week. I don't know why. And so I've gone through a nineties country music. Like I'm in a hardcore, hardcore nineties music thing. Like my Alexa is like, girl, are you okay? (laughs) I just don't (laughs) stop listening to it. I've listened to Randy Travis a million times. The song look heart, no hands. You know that one, right? That one. I don't know why that one always breaks my heart. And But why do I do this to myself? Sometimes I listen to songs that I, like to make myself cry. What's wrong with me? Why do I want I, to cry? That's not, there's nothing wrong with you. I feel like a lot of people do that. Oh, okay. It doesn't feel right. And then I love yeah. the song, It Only Hurts When I Breathe by Shania Twain. That is such a dramatic uh, <laughs> idea. I had a bad breakup and listened to that. And I was like, when I think back on that, how many times I listened to that song, Shania Twain got so many royalties. She probably bought like another house for as many times as I listened to that song. But yeah, that is just me being my most dramatic is listening to that song. What about you? Okay. It's so funny because I am totally with you on sad. I think of different 90s country songs. Yeah. When I think of sad. So the ones that come to my mind, um, Martina McBride has a few really sad songs and Independence Day oh, is one I knew you were going to say it. And so then also her song Concrete Angel just makes me cry every single time. And um, there's the other, there's another song that I, uh, Three Wooden Crosses. I mean, all these yeah. 90s, just the, the, I feel like because that, those songs they all have like really good storytelling and right. so I really just get into it and so by like the second verse you're just like bawling because you feel like you're there you know yeah. and so um that's just kind of how it is for 90s country music so yeah I would say if I want to feel sad or if I want to like get my emotions out of sadness then that's really my go-to as well what's the Reba McIntyre one where um this is so specific where she kills somebody but i didn't know she killed somebody in it until recently the one where the judge has blood stains on his hand lights went oh, out to georgia i love that song yeah. yes so i yes. never i apparently either never made it to the last verse or never like you know whenever you know something from when you're a kid so you never actually listen to all the words but you know them so as an adult listening to it i was like oh she killed him I didn't even catch on yeah. to that. In the inter- never ever knew. I just that's a great song. Yeah, it is. It's a that's a fun. I don't know. A weird. It's a nostalgic thing for me for sure. And so something about that is comforting to me. Like listening to songs before, uh, you know, like my life became crazy and <laughs> tiring and everything. I'm like oh, little Melissa would have loved this. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so Mandy, what about songs when you're angry? I don't know if that's the best way to explain it, but yeah. If you're ticked off and you're just going to listen to music, what do you listen to? Yeah, so I don't really have specific music I listen to when I'm angry. I don't I don't listen to angry music. I guess when I'm mad or angry, I just listen to like 
my favorite songs, you know, the ones yeah. that I know are tried and true that I love. Um, but I don't really listen to any music that I necessarily consider angry because it kind of is like the one, like, it's kind of like the one genre that I just don't really get into. So, you know, there was some talk of um, Christina Grimmie listened to metal. Yeah. And I have friends who listen to metal and um, I just don't really understand it. And so, but I feel, I feel, I feel like if I was going to listen to something to be angry, it would probably be something metal. I just wouldn't know though, really. Yeah. I mean, I, I guess it's, I, I've been, I was trying to think of of at least one song like angry, but I can't, I can't even come up with one. That reminds me of, um, is Christina Applegate in that show dead to me. You watched that first season, right? Um, yeah. the new one's coming out. Remember whenever she would get like really upset and she would go in her car and she would listen to metal as loud as possible. Yeah. That's what that <laughs> reminds me of. I don't think I have something so much like that, but I will like, if I'm just like irritated and like deep cleaning or something like that, I can listen to something like Eminem, which is so basic, but I love like old Eminem stuff. And it's like, as cool as I ever got in high school was listening to Eminem because my friends listened and I thought they were cool and they were just as much of a loser as me. Sorry. I love Eminem. It's a fun one. That's, that's definitely angry music, (laughs) right? It's a good one when you're just like irritated and you don't care. He definitely doesn't care. So I'm just living through his angry angriness. So (laughs) yeah, yeah, that's a good one. Yeah. I didn't even think of him. That's all I got, Mandy. I don't, I don't think I do that that much. I think I do what you do, which is mostly try to listen to things that make me happy or nostalgic or something like that, but never listen to the songs from like the last five years. I just don't even know new music whatsoever. Yeah. I, I was going to say there are songs age. I can listen to that will make me mad, but you know, oh <laughs> but I don't listen to songs on purpose to like be mad or I don't have like music that I specifically listen to when I'm yeah. mad. I, yeah. You know. I get it. I just, yeah, I don't think I do that too much. Well, that's yeah. fun. That's basically our brains and I don't know, that's never good for anybody, but there you have it. There you go. <laughs> all right. So, <laughs> all right. So I think that is it for this week. We will be back next week with a new episode at the same time, same place. Oh, wait, I messed that up. You know, we'll be here next week. Same time. Well, I hate when you say the same time thing, because I'm always like at midnight, like, oh, I hope this goes through. I hope this goes through. <laughs> so same ish time is really what I'm really hoping. Same ish time. Thank same you. day. Same day of the week. <laughs> Have a great week. Bye. Thanks so much for listening to the Moms and Murder podcast. Make sure to check back with us next week for a new episode. You can also find us at momsandmurder.com where you can connect with us via social media. Please make sure you subscribe and give us five stars because giving us four stars would be a crime. Thanks so much.